Hello and good afternoon and welcome to the latest episode of the Magicast. I'm your host, Scott Munro. Welcome to episode 213. I hope everyone is uh, is doing well and if you're like me, enjoying the, the late September, not late summer weather here in the UK where it's absolutely sweltering at the moment. We are recording on Thursday the 7th of September. With me today, I have Joey. How are you, Joey? Good, Scott. I'm uh, getting the same thing as you uh, with this uh, with this heat we're getting. You know, 30 plus degrees in late se- in uh, September is is uh, something different for us. So uh, I'm feeling the effects like you are. It as you said, as we both said, we're both in different continents. One in North America, one in Europe. Odds on, it's going to rain next week for both of oh, us. For sure. Well. <laughs> we'll uh we'll make the most of it while we can uh today's episode is about the europa league draw and the transfer market as the transfer market slammed shut does it really slam shut does it just close is there a ringing of the bell um but that closed on friday and we had the europa league draw on friday we'll be discussing that and some any other business but first We'll be talking about the Europa League draw um, as beating finalists. Sorry to bring it up from last season. I don't mean to bring up any PTSD or anything like that. I get the same thing when I see Anthony Taylor referee again. Um, Once again, sorry, bringing up PTSD. It's not a great start. But Roma had uh, a quite, how would you say, quite an easy draw or... Joey, it's not. It's a quite comfortable draw, isn't it? So Roma got Sheriff. Uh, I think they are. They are Moldovan, aren't they? Servette from so Sheriff Taraspol were in the. Uh, they were in the Champions League last year. Uh, not last year, the year before, and managed to beat Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. Servette, uh, the Swiss club, and the Czech side Slavia Praha. Um, Roma start away in Moldova against Sheriff. And then at home to Serva, and then they got the two games against Slavia Praha. What do you think of the draw, Joey? I think it's quite easy, to be honest. Um, mm. They have a short travel distance. They measured it that they have one of the shortest distances to travel in Europe, and as well as one of the easiest groups. I mean, I don't expect anything uh, less than first place. Um, we said it a little bit last pod. They should go 6-6. Six, six. I'll even give them, you know, a bit of leeway and say they should win 5-6. of six, But it, it should be no no less than that, really. I like how you displayed my confidence as saying it in the, uh, in, the, in the pod we did a couple of weeks ago. But it seems quite a straightforward draw. Uh, no bogeys, but European competition. We probably said that last year, didn't we? When Roma had... HJK Helsinki, uh, who was it? Raul Betis and Ludogorets. And the the two toughest games were probably the two Ludogorets games. Uh, They they definitely were. We didn't uh, play well enough in those games, but ultimately we we ended up going through, thankfully. Um, It was a harder group considering there was Betis. I never, you know, I think Betis are a team that can trouble you. Oh, God, yeah. And they definitely definitely troubled us last season. 
Um, my only one worry, Scott, because you mentioned confidence, is I think Roma don't uh, – I'm not going to say don't take it serious. I'm looking for the right word, but they kind of ease off when it comes to the group stages of these these games and they just seem to just make it through or they make it through with uh, – with a bit of um, uh, with a bit of controversy, they they don't seem to uh, just do it comfortably, right? And it's been happening since the conference league in twenty twenty one. If we can recall, the conference league was the easiest group I could ever imagine, and we went on to lose to Bodo, and we needed Bodo to tie just to come first mm. um, in in that competition. Same last season, we didn't even come first; we came second. And we had to play a, a qualification round against uh, Salzburg, right, to move forward. Which I still, to this day, I don't agree with Champions League dropping down to Europa, but that's a topic for another day. But yeah, it's uh, certainly it's an easy group, and like I said, I I expect nothing less than uh, being first place. This is the final year that's going to happen because after next season. It's going into a league format with, I think it's 36 teams. Or I think it's 36 yes. teams in the Champions League. And I think it may be, is it 32 teams in the Europa League and Conference League? And they play each other, they play six games or something to that extent. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, I think it's a little less than Champions League qualifications, but you're right, it's going into a, uh, um, it's going into a league table format, which will, I guess it will be interesting. I know not many people like the change or, you know, are not always open to change right away, but it's going to be something interesting as of next year. Yeah, uh, it's going to be intriguing, uh, because this is, this is the last year of the group format. Where you get the uh, the groups of four, six games. Uh, I know next year the Champions League is eight, so you play eight games spanning from September to January. I think it may be the same with the Europa League and the, uh, the Conference League. So you're going to get a change, and then you don't. So the top eight go into a go through to the round of sixteen. But there is a playoff between, I think it's 9th and 24th to see the next eight teams go through. That's in the Champions League. It may be a lot different in the Europa League and the Conference League, but it's it seems a bit involuted and a bit, a bit clunky and messy, but it's a format we probably have to get used to going forward from next year. Uh, yes, it is. And just to confirm, it is 36 teams uh, in the league phase as well for both Europa League. Ah, uh, so it is. League. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But the Europa League, you play uh, eight matches as you do in Champions League, but they say the Conference League, you play six matches. Six, that's the, the one. Phase. Yeah. Yeah. So you are right um, to confirm. So all these all these uh, formats are changing for all three so you play eight different games. What what I was going to ask you, Scott, is are the, the groups are separated? I assume it's um, the groups are separated. Uh, is it going to be what eighteen eighteen, or is it just all thirty six teams in you know one league format? And so top eight of those that go through. Yeah. So it's uh, well, if if you play a simulated football game as I do, they've run that. They've programmed that into that game, so it's a full league of thirty-six 
teams. The top eight go through to the next round. So if you finish top eight, you go th- straight through to the round of 16 and you miss out the, on the uh, the next round, or which I think is to be the round of 32. And then teams from nine, uh, so nine, 18. Nine to 24, it says. 24, yeah. So they go through into a playoff and the winners of that advance through to the next stage, which is the la- the last 16. Okay, okay. That's that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting because normally in group stage games, like we always experience is you play, you have a chance to play a certain team home and away. Now it's mm. different. You play eight different teams. Yeah. Scheduling wise, people are people are gonna complain a lot, Scott. I I can imagine like certain teams, you know, getting a lot stronger. Let's say certain teams getting a lot of their let's let's say weaker or stronger opponents at home, and you know, playing impossible away games, and it's it's gonna be interesting. Well, we'll see how it goes, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm excited. I I kind of want to see it. You know, I want to see how teams approach this. I'd love to see how Roma start approaching this approaching this knowing they have eight games to make the, at least a top 24 right so uh it's going to be interesting to see it is and we've got what 12 months to look forward to it so it comes through the 24 25 season um and if you like like me if you play football manager it takes about a year or two to get used to because it's just very weird because <laughs> you're playing i think you play two to three games a month so you play, you'll play two games in September, two games in October, two games in November, and then it spreads over into January, December and January. But yeah, I quite look forward to seeing it firsthand and not on the simulated football game. Yeah, same here. I mean, I, I don't play uh, football managers. For me, it's going to be uh, first time just seeing it live uh, as a next year. The only thing I'll say, uh, the only final thing I'll say to it, Scott, is they're just finding ways to have more and more games for footballers. And uh, I don't mm. know if that's always the greatest idea, especially uh, teams like Roma who can't really field, uh, you know, two complete or three teams. So uh, it's going to be hard, but again, it will be interesting. It is. Uh, on news about the Europa League, two players have to be excluded. Have you seen who the two players are? Yes, Christensen and Asmun. Asmun, yes. So it can't. It has to be two new sign-ins. So it can't be two players that are already there. And was it down to FFP where Roma had to exclude? Is it a twenty-five man squad to a twenty-three man squad? Yeah, they had to reduce it to two. And uh, I look. Uh, you you explained it uh, clearly that Roma had it to had to um, exclude two new signings be, for their their books to be in compliance with FFP rather than mm. two older ones who they've already put in their their list previously. I certainly find that ridiculous. I think every year you come up to um, the UEFA and you present them a list and. I don't care if the value was of two years ago, three years ago, or you do something where it takes their, their salary, let's say, and you put that list and you see how many players you can fit from there. I I don't personally, I don't agree with the rule. Um, especially in our case, we, we have injuries to Kumbula and Abraham, which we have to leave on the list. 
which makes no sense. They're injured. We can't even play them. So I certainly don't agree with it. I don't know. What, what do you think, Scott? I'm sort of the same. I think you're dealt with the, the oh, you're, you're forced to deal with the hand that you're, no, what is, how is that saying and going? No, oh, who cares? Um, sorry, my mind's gone blank. Um, I think it's a bit sucky, but because you've got two players in Tammy and Marish Kambula who have both torn their ACL and they're going to be out until mid-2024, probably the latter part of the season, March, April time. So they both... Didn't Kumbula's do his against AC Milan, which was April 30th? And Tammy did his against Spezia, which was, what, June 4th? 3rd, 4th fourth round. Yeah, so that's roughly... They're going to be out to six to eight months. They're both rehabbing, but I understand the rule, but I don't agree with it, because I think it just... You've got extra players there, and these players have had injuries, before you have to submit the list, but I understand that it has to be new players that you potentially you have to leave out. Just look last last season, we couldn't or Roma couldn't uh, add in Olasol back in into the the twenty five man squad, could they? No, they couldn't. Um, the only thing I'm I'm hopeful for is look with even without Hasmoon and <coughs> excuse me and Christensen. We obviously should make it through to this group that has, mm. that has, should, should have no impact at all on the group stage. I think um, they need to present. They obviously, sorry, need to present a new list um, when it comes to the knockout phases. And here is where I hope that they'll be able to include um, both Asmoon and Sol and um, excuse me, and Christensen, because Tammy and even Kambula, I don't think will be ready again. So. Hopefully, they can add these new players onto the list uh, coming in January. Fingers crossed they do. Uh, so, Roma do start their Europa League. Uh, uh, the Europa League decision uh, to Ireland as the final is in Ireland. I was trying to think of a nice, calm word to say there. So, it's Sheriff away. And uh, then serve at home. So Sheriff away on the 21st of September. And this is the earlier kickoff. So it's quarter to six low, uh, CET, quarter to five UK time. So Roma server is the later kickoff along with the home tie against Slavia Praha. I think all bar one of the home games is the later kickoff. And then you got Roma ending against Sheriff at home on the 14th of December with a quarter to six kickoff, quarter to seven kickoff local time. So six for six, not to see bluntly or over too confident, but unbeaten. Yeah, certainly unbeaten, um, or if you've already qualified, I mean, at the end, you just play, you just play backups and it, uh, you know, they tie or can lose the game. That's fine. If you win the first, the first five, um, a little riskier move, Scott, maybe you have different thoughts of it, but I would, I would approach this. Um, how would I say it? Um, I would take it seriously, but I would approach it in the mindset, like even our backups can beat them. I, 
I personally think, Scott, we shouldn't even need Dybala for any of the yeah, six games. Yeah, you probably you can use him for two or three. Maybe a push. As a yeah, as a sub and just save him. Not save him, just not get absolutely cropped in Europe. You could play like exactly. Al Sharari. You could play Al Sharari and Belotti in a couple of these games, and have exactly. a midfield of Paredes, Renato Sanchez, and Pellegrini. Exactly. You don't need to. You don't need to play uh, play him for all six. Even for half of them is is okay. If as Moon would have been perfect for these type of competitions, really, um, because. Uh, you know he won't feature as much in Syria, and this would have been a good, good chance for him to get some a good run of games in him and Balotti or him and El Sharari. Um, and I think you should save Lukaku and DiBala for the knockout phases, as well as as most of the league games. The only thing that's uh, that I, I don't like with all this, you know, not having guys like Asmoon or even Christensen, is I've complained about this before, is the scheduling. Um, the scheduling is is pretty brutal. Roma play after every Europa League match. They play an away game, and at least half of them are against the bigger side. So those are the games, the midweek, the Thursdays. I don't want Dybala to feature. I don't want Lukaku to feature. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how Mourinho and just the team in general approach this. Because if it were me, I, I play as many backups as possible. I think we should still win six of six. Um, not saying to play 11 backups, but, you know, play at least half of them uh, because we're going to need these guys coming up on the weekends for the, the, the day after those, sorry, the game after those Europa League games. Yeah, I agree. You could probably see Svila starting in some of these games because a part of me doesn't want to see Rui Patricio start every single game until the winter break. You could probably stick Svila in the, the, the in between the sticks in probably three or four of these games. Yeah, certainly him, um, the wing backs for sure. Uh, you're going to rotate between you know Spinazzola, Zaleski, Chelik, Karzorp. You don't have Christensen, and you have a plethora of midfielders. So um, even giving Pagano a bit of a run yeah. would be a bad idea, right? He's part of the B team, so um, the. So he'll be able to to feature. Uh, give guys, obviously, like Bove, if you don't want to start him in the bigger Serie A matches, Bove would certainly fit playing there. Give Pellegrini rest, obviously Dybala and Lukaku. Those are the main people I, I, I believe should rest. Um, even Cristante, uh, you know, manage working Cristante and Paredes. The only one, Scott, I, I really don't want to see as much Um to be honest, is I, I don't know about Lukaku's injury history. I know he isn't always the healthiest person when it comes to being on the football pitch. Mm-hmm. But Dybala is the one guy I, I want them to barely feature in the group stage. He He's absolutely not needed. So I just, I'd rather not see him play as much as possible. I agree. Uh, just he's not worth it. You could probably, as I stated earlier, when the game's already won, if he, he can start a couple... And if the game's already won, just wrap them up in cotton wool. Because in between the games, the the kickoff times got released yesterday for the fixtures up until Christmas. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I saw the list. Yeah, so 
I'll go through them. We, we're we're going to be talking about the transfers in a minute. So, Roma Empoli is a Sunday night kickoff, which is quarter to eight UK time. Uh, Torino Roma is also the Sunday, and that is also the same kickoff time. Genoa Roma, which is a midweek game, that is now a Thursday, the twenty eighth of September, and that is also the later kickoff, which is quarter to eight or quarter to nine. I think that for you is that quarter to three. Yeah, for us, yes. Yeah. And then Roma Frosinone is the 1st of October, and that's a Sunday, and that's the 5 p.m. Calori Roma is also a, a 5 o'clock p.m., and that's also a Sunday. And we've also got Roma Monza, Joey, on the 22nd of October, and this is the first one of this year, because it will kick, it will start again when the match day four kicks off. It's the Sunday lunchtime kickoff. Roma Monza is the Sunday lunchtime. Yeah, for us at six thirty in the morning, so uh, it's quite early. Are you going to set your alarm for that? Uh, probably. If I seem to not be able to get up, what I do is, um, I mean, I used to do this in the past for Champions League games and Europa League games while I work. I just, um, I just wake up in the first thing in the morning. I'll make sure I don't have anything to do. I'll watch the game on replay, and I won't look at any scores. I'll watch it, if it as if it's live for me. So okay. I got you. Uh, and then you got into Roma, which is the five o'clock kickoff on the Sunday. Sunday again for Lecce because that's sandwiched in between Europa League. That's the five o'clock kickoff. The derby is also an early kickoff. Uh, and then Roma Udinese on the 26th, that's also a 5 o'clock. I believe, Scott, Inter and Lazio, or at least Lazio, we play the Europa League game just before or after. Yeah, just before both of them. Yeah. So, and it's the double-hander against Slavia Praha. Yeah, exactly. I knew we had some big teams around the time we played um, Do we play some of the Europa League game. But like I said, as you're going through the fixtures, look at every single... Match we play after the Europa League, it's always away. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy because uh, actually I'll go through it now because after because just padding for time after the first one against Sheriff Roma away to Torino after the Servet home game in the Europa League Roma away to in Sardinia against Calgary home to Slavia Praha away to Inter away to Slavia Praha. Technically, it's a home game because it's the Rome derby. Away to Servet. Away to Sassuolo. Home to Sheriff. Away to Bologna. It's just crazy. So the, basically, the kickoff times have all been done. Like most, most Roma games in 2023 for this season are either slated for the Sunday, uh, what would we say, 5 o'clock kickoff UK time, 6 o'clock U- uh, Italian time. And the seven, uh, the 1945 game, which is the 2045, and I think for you it's 345. That's the main bulk of it. There's one early kickoff, and there's two Saturday games, which is the, Na- the Napoli on the 23rd of December and the 30th, 30th of December, which is against um, Juventus, because they're doing two games around Christmas now. 
So Roma Napoli is on the twenty third, and Juventus Roma is on the the thirtieth, and then Roma Atalanta on the seventh is also a five o'clock kickoff. Are they not doing uh, a game for? Oh, does that fall on? Uh, what is it? The Italian holiday in early January. Uh, I believe it does. Yeah, so that does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's football. Yeah, there's football all day that day because it's a national holiday, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, just to note, Scott, they play obviously a lot on the Sundays because of the Europa League. The Europa League, yeah. Yeah, because they need to leave the Saturdays for the Champions, Champions League. Champions League, yeah. If we make back Champions League, we'll start playing a lot more on Saturdays, which, which honestly, Scott, I prefer. I. I I don't know how big the um, the NFL is in the UK, but it's pretty. It's obviously very big in North America. So having to try to watch both uh, Serie A, Roma, and uh, NFL Sundays <laughs> is quite difficult at this time period. So I think a lot of my mates watch the NFL. Uh, I can't stand it myself, but it is what it is. With Saturday games. I noticed that the Champions League games will be like for teams who are in Champions League games, they kick off at two, which is like three PM No, three PM Italian time, two PM UK time. And I'm at games, so I'll be missing them and they're not televised in the UK because of that stupid blackout rule. Um Oh that's right. Yeah, but it's not the end of the world. But that is guys, that's the Europa League and the fixtures come out as well. It's I think there may be one banana skin for Roma. That's probably Slavia Prague away. And the rest seems straightforward, not to seem condescending or anything like that. Roma should really, with the the squad that's been built for them, should really qualify out of this group top. And fingers crossed they should. But stranger things have happened, haven't they, Joey? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we uh, we mentioned it, right? The Conference League, it was it was hell to get out of that group. Uh, we did it by the skin of our teeth. We needed help, you know, um, in the last game to, to finish first. And last year, we even though we made the final, we didn't even end first. So, And it's a tough Europa League, right? So I want the players to be um, this, the, you know, our main players, the center of the, the project to be fit and fully energized and ready for the knockout phase because it's going to be a tough um, it's going to be a tough competition I just look at teams just like Liverpool and Brighton I mean that's that's ex- extremely extremely tough so uh, you got to be prepared if you want to try to go back to the finals agreed agreed shall we move on to the transfer window as it slammed shut I hate it when it says slam shut. By the way, the Saudi transfer window closes today. Don't know if you yep. knew that one. Uh, there's a potentially of an ex-Roma player who is at Liverpool. Uh, I, th- I saw rumours yesterday there could be a, a big bid. I wonder if Roma have a sell-on clause. Never know. I don't believe so. Ah, I wish, that'd be a shame. I really don't believe so. Oh, that's a shame. I don't think so, I don't think Manchi was that smart. No, I don't think he was. Uh, so overall, um, I've listened to other podcasts. So we had Nima on a couple of weeks ago. So I listened to him and Nima on the Italian football pod. They rated Roma with an A, 
I think it was an A or an A minus with what they had in store with the lack of funds they had what they managed to do was quite good so you had Romelu Lukaku on loan, on loan from Chelsea Paredes I think it was for two and a half million euros Renato Sanchez on loan the free transfers of Evan Indica and Hussam Awa the loan deals of Rasmus Christensen and Sada Asman and it's the young Spanish midfielder on loan from Real Madrid also. His name escapes me, but it, I will find that. Guerrero? Yes, yes, because his dad used to play for Athletic Club. And I think he was about to join Athletic Club for €2 million. Euros. Um, is there any other players that I'm missing out? No, for incoming, that, that was it. That was it. And outcomings? Okay. This could be fun, Joey. <laughs> Let me. So you had we, have a, we have a lot. We have a lot. So it was. Geez, there's a lot. Oh my day! So, Ante Koric and William Bianda. The free first tra- two you mentioned. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I have to go in order. Free transfer. Ibrahima uh, Dabowe to Alaska in Austria on loan. Matthias Vigna on loan to Sassuolo. Ruben Providence to TSV Hartberg in, I think that's the Australia, Australian, Austrian Bundesliga. Eldor uh, Shomorodov to Calgary on loan. Ola Solbakken on loan to Olympiakos in Greece. Gonzalo Villar, uh, just for, I think it was under 2 million euros to Granada in Spain. Then you had Filippo uh, Missouri and... Christian Valparto to Sassuolo. Was it was it roughly about ten million euros or just a bit more? I was. Uh, it was. I think it was about just about ten. Ten million euros. Yeah. Uh, Nemanja Matic to Stad Rene. Uh, I saw conflicting reports this this was a free transfer, but in other places I've seen it was uh, like two and a half million euros. No, it, it was two and a half to three million for Matic, but in Roma's case, it didn't matter because they had to pay back the taxes of the. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Yes. Because oh, he yeah. never ended up staying two years. Yes. Uh, Brian Reynolds to uh, Vestalo in Belgium for three and a half million that was euros. Disappointing. Yeah. That was, that was. I thought he had high hopes. Carlos Perez to Celta de Vigo to play for Rafa Benitez. That's uh, just over five million. Benjamin, Benjamin Tahirovic to go back uh, to go back to sorry uh, to Ajax, who are doing a bit of a rebuild phase. I think that was seven to eight million euros. Justin Cliver to play for probably the next big thing of the Spanish coach for Andrea Ayarola uh, at Bournemouth for about 11 million euros and Roger Banez to Al-Hakli in the Saudi Premier League or Pro League for 30 million euros and I think there was one more which was the the goalkeeper uh, who I botch every time so uh, Jerry I'm going to let you do this one Davide yeah it's gone to Serie C Montessori Montessori on loan so, Monterossi, sorry. Monterossi. So that's a lot of departures. Uh, I use Transfer Mart. We both use Transfer Mart. 
74 and a half million euros brought in an expenditure of nine and a half or 9.3 million a plus balance of 65.20 million but you saw something that brought my eyes to this via the excellent roma press with john and andy uh CIES confirms Roma have a positive net balance in 2023. Um, it is of plus 95 million of a spending of million million in, yeah, in, in yeah. investments. So overall, what do you reckon of Roma's transfer dealings this window? It could have been a lot better. I reckon Roma are probably two players short, uh, a fifth centre-back, and a goalkeeper. I think you could have got a, an A++++ if you had that, or a 10 out of 10. But I feel we're two players short at the moment. Uh, yeah, before, just uh, quickly before I get into it, to clarify, I uh, obviously we've seen two reports, one being 95 million, one being about 74 and a half. I think, Scott, the CIS one, which um, which Roma Press translated from Italian, I think the um, the positive net of ninety five million probably uh, includes bonuses, or I feel like the other one does not, or it might include guys that are on sell on clause because we don't have we don't have here like California Fiori for example brought us in some money right and we don't have that here, so I think they did not include players who had sell on clauses such as Califiori. Fratesi, Davide Fratesi, would that count as next year? Well, Fratesi would be next year, but Mm. I think it's more on the ones of this year. Calafur is the biggest example. There's somebody else. I think it was Marquisa, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, There's a couple others. Didn't he leave Sassuolo to go somewhere? Yes, he did, and we we had a sell-on clause for him. Yeah, so that's a good point. So it does include sell-on clauses. And probably bonuses. Bonuses. yeah. As well, yeah. Because if so, you forget, Cengizunda went and Roma got a set on clause. He left Marseille to go back to Turkey. That was one of the other ones, yeah, yeah. that I couldn't remember. Exactly. So, But anyways, anywhere between what we got, between 65 and 95 million is great. I was a little harsh on Twitter. I'm going to kind of correct it. I gave an overall at the beginning of 6.5 just because... Maybe I was frustrated, but the holes we had at wing back and goalkeeper was like uh, was a big negative for me, um, even more so than the fifth center back. But now that I look at it, I'm calmer. We've looked at every type of transfer they made or they could have made, and we had clear explanations about the you know the list that we have to give to UEFA, um, and not just generating uh, revenues. It's also you know player salary that come into uh, that come into question when we have to make these UEFA lists. I'll definitely vote a little higher between seven to seven and a half. I don't think it's an A plus. I, I think goalkeeper and wing backs were were I find they were they were ignored. They weren't mm-hmm. even trying to look for those positions. It's not as if you tried and you couldn't because you just didn't have the money. I don't even think they looked. So that's that's the that's to me is the negative side of it is, and the uh, the long the long negotiation transfers. I think Pinto one of his faults is he takes too long to negotiate for a player. Um, the biggest one that comes to mind is Skamaka. If you 
let go of Skamaka just a few weeks earlier or even a couple weeks earlier, I think you have Marcus Leonardo, which is still a target of Rome, right? I think you have him earlier, just just as of one example. Sure, the Lukaku opportunity opened, but again, I don't know if that was on their mind in July because they were trying to take Skamaka. Same with Murata. Apparently, they try and try and try, and you know what was going to happen. I, I believe everybody, everybody knew. But apart from those negatives, but the biggest one being a, you're right about the goalkeeper uh, missing a couple of players, I mean, overall, seven to seven and a half for me, it's still very positive. What he had to deal with, uh, Pinto, what he had to go through was just with UEFA, with, you know, constraints on the market. We took two players that were worth probably between 20, 30 million on the market if they had uh, a contract. So with a team, but they didn't. And we signed them, Hussam Owar and Indica. Mm-hmm. They went to get Lukaku, which I can't stress this enough. Out of every target we're after, again, not including the young guys, Beltran, Leonardo, don't know much too much about them. You're ta- I'm talking again, Zapata, Skamaka, Morata. The best striker out of all of them is the one we actually took, which is Lukaku. A little late, but we took him. Paredes, um, and I hope, Scott, we kind of go through um, Pinto's press conference, which I think was brilliant, yeah. by the way. yeah. Um, he got Paredes for two and a half and, you know, there's two million bonuses, but he has to start 80 matches. Yeah, for I saw that. I saw that, so yeah. I don't think we, they're going to see that two million PSG. No. Does, does PSG care that they won't see two million? No, but we no. do. So yeah. for us, I think, it's, I think it's a positive thing. And Sanchez, look, I like the player. It's the health that is concerned. And I stand with Pinto. This guy is... He's going to give all the praise to the team if he does well, but he said it first. Uh, Sanchez was my obsession. It was his quote. It was my obsession, and it is my responsibility if it doesn't work out. And we structure it in a way where it kind of works out for in both ways. He doesn't play enough. We send them back. He plays enough. Everybody's happy. We buy him. Mm-hmm. So, And he really believes in the medical staff to – make sure Sam Sanchez is back at an optimal level. And it's not even playing-wise. Nothing to do with technique. It's just he needs to just see the field. It's about health-wise for him. So I think they did a brilliant job with Dybala as well as they could um, to manage him. The only thing they can't prevent is what happened with Palomino. So I believe they'll do the same with Sanchez. And it's a sort of profile, I think, that um, that suits us. We need a player like him. We haven't had that since, you know, the guy, the days of Nangalan, let's say. Mm. An explosive midfielder that can just drive straight. Obviously, some different characteristics, but powerful midfielder, powerful runner that, you know, just drives through. I don't think we, we were supposed to do that in Genie, but he got injured, right? So I think it was brilliant. And to be honest, I think Pinto had a wonderful press conference. Um, I mean, he made every good market opportunity available to him. We tried for most positions. The Lukaku deal was brilliant. I think uh, the way Pinto said it um, best is, you know, he dropped, they basically, they knew they dropped Zapata once they convinced to get Lukaku. They had to convince, he he laid it all out. They had to convince him first before going to, um, obviously, the Chelsea to deal with, and they did. They convinced him to come to Rome. He re- also rejected offers from other big teams of Copa to come here. So him and Mourinho did a wonderful job. So I think Pinto gets a lot of criticism. Um, when he signed Asmoon, I, was, I wasn't I was happy, Scott. 
but neither was the rest of rest of the Roma supporters. They take it a little far. They were calling him like, you know, that he's shit, that he he's terrible, uh, that he doesn't know what he's doing. Like they were there was a lot of comments made toward Pinto. And then Pinto says, Yeah, I, I received all these comments about me and then, you know, with all along the plan being to sign Lukaku, a few days later they sign Lukaku and all the Roma fans are calling him the king of Rome. <laughs> so they re- we really are a basket case call. We go oh, from zero to one hundred quickly. It's ridiculous. I think this is the most emotional club in football. In, oh, Itali- in Italian football, definitely. the fan base is the most emotional. You take the high highest with the highs, and the, take the lowest of the lows, and there's no middle ground in between. I think whoever supports, I think the elderly generation. I think it's actually no scrap that. I think it's just all Roma fans. I think some people just may take it to the extreme if you would, if, right. if you would agree with me. Yeah, I do. I never take it to the extreme in a sense where I'll uh, start. You know, I'll, I can criticize, but I'll never start shitting on a person mm. personally. I know Roma. Some Roma fans do. I do take it, however, emotionally, Scott. I mean, I'll tell you time and time again. Like it could affect my day in terms of being, you know, having a happier day to a um, uh, more of a depressing day. Mm. Uh, not to the to the utmost yeah, extreme, extreme yeah, yeah. But Roma making to the Europa League final, um, you know, was one of the happiest days I ever had. And then Roma losing that final, I could not speak to anyone for like days. On penalties, like, on penalties, on penalties, drew, drew the game, but on penalties, which is the cruelest way to lose. Um, exactly. I think. A part of me is I'm used to it, used to the the pain and it all. Well, I support two clubs, so I'm used to the pain. So I I get I see the fan base of two teams. I think they're quite similar, um, quite emotional. I know some people who, who were on match days. It, it's the best thing that they look forward to all week. You got football. So for me, I've, I'm off to a game on Sunday. I really look forward to this game. I look forward to the Scottish national team beating Cyprus tomorrow, hopefully, and then play England. Um, it's the things that you look forward to, isn't it, Joey? It's the, your week, or maybe work, is built around this, this football club. You, you, go, it, you build your week around this, and then... Like I said to you, it's nothing like Roma to ruin a weekend. Pretty much. <laughs> and you, you described the best, God, and I'll uh, segue this back to the the transfer market. I do the same even when Roma don't play because of the transfer market. I'm, I really invest myself to see all the rumors during the summer and how negotiations go. One day I was happy because I thought we were getting Leonardo, and then the next day Santos didn't want because what was going on with their, their team and all of the, the you know, even Pinto off, said it. The off-the-field problems the at off Santos. The off-the-field problems they had with Falcao, the co- uh, you know, getting dismissed, the coach got fired, them being in relegation, which they still are because they're terrible, by the way. And But just the highs and lows of, of that deal, like I was, when when they announced that they, they weren't going to get him, I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I really wasn't. I started... Scott, I started to be able to learn a little bit of Portuguese for the amount of uh, times I was looking up about Leonardo and from the Brazilian journalists uh, just to see what was going on. But then same with Lukaku. That was 
for me, that was four or five brutal days, you know, constantly at work or doing some work or even off. It's like, okay, is it going to happen today? I, cause for us in North America, we wake up to the news. Yeah. For us, for us in the UK, it's news constantly going. Just remember you're four or five hours behind us in, in Europe. Exactly. So when, when I wake up in the morning, so any, anytime I go to sleep, I wake up the next morning, I have about six hours of news to read. I mean, it's not that much, but I have about six hours of, from what I follow on, let's say, uh, I was going to say Twitter, but it's X or whatever. And all those that I follow just to see the Lukaku deal. So my morning before work is checking is like, okay, did we get Lukaku? Did we not? So you know, that was four or five days of negotiation because I'm like, if we don't, like I start to worry, if we don't get Lukaku, that's it. It's done. There's nobody else. But again, going back to Pinto, um, this was his plan all along when he took Asmund, which is why I know it was a long negotiation. And for all us Roma fans, we were we were definitely anxious. Like I, I follow, obviously we follow each other. I follow a lot of Roma fans on the social media and they were they were really waiting for Lukaku if this was the day, this was the day, because they knew themselves if this wasn't, if if it wasn't him, I don't know if we would have gotten anybody because Zapata wasn't going to happen. But brilliant work by Pinto, at least towards the end. We got another big market hit after Dybala last year. We ended up getting um, Lukaku. I know it was on the final days, but somebody that we couldn't get in July. And like I said, the best striker out of anyone we were linked to that has, uh, you know, that has some experience and they were quite confident. They let go of Zapata. They took Asmund because it was a free loan deal as an insurance. Mm. And because they run the three five two, you really need a lot of central strikers. I mean, Inter have been running four strikers for the longest time, and it's very successful. Since um, 2019, they've been using the three five two. So Conte, Inzaghi. Conte. And they always have four yeah. strikers. Four strikers. Our wild, our wild card is obviously CL Sharari, which... I think some games, given our market now, you know, you have Asmund, Dybala, Balotti, and Lukaku. You, you got a bunch there now. You may see, if you want production out of your wing back, you may see El Sharari play it again because he was our most productive wing back last season, and he only played there sparingly. He didn't always play there. So he, you might see him more at wing back um, because of the amount of forwards we have. So... Personally, if I was Mourinho, given what happened on the market, we couldn't, we didn't look at wingbacks and the way they're playing. I would look at playing El Sharari there a little more. He, to mm. me, Scott, he, he actually scores an assist from that spot. Nobody else does. I think he's a better player when out wide. Exactly. I, I, I don't mind him as a central, like centrally, because um, he can drift and take defenders with him. Um, but if Roma ever want to go, as we all discussed on a previous podcast, if Roma want to go four three two one, Christmas tree, you can have Debar on the right behind the striker, Al Shawari on the left behind the striker, and they can both cut in as inverted, and it would, it, I think that would work. Um, well, because Al Shawari is basically playing as an inverted winger because. He is right-footed playing on the left because he can cut in or go on the outside. It's the same with Zaleski. Um, he's predominantly right-footed. And Spinazzola, um both play on the left because they have that change of pace and that directness, and they can go inside and outside. Um, right. But they both can't cross 
for shit. <laughs> no, no. So, so I hope they're working on their crossing if they're with their their national team coaches for Poland uh, and, and I, Italy. I hope so too. But yeah. Scott, you're right. That's uh, El Sharari's trademark. Is he he loves to cut in and shoot. He has uh, an excellent curling foot. You know, he can curl as some of the best. Not as much like. You know, Spinazzola and Zaleski can't shoot or curl that ball in like um, El Shwari can or Dybala, obviously. So he his best trait. But honestly, Scott, even even if El Shwari isn't the greatest at crossing, he's still a better productive numbers as a wing back compared to the other two. Mm. So I I still think I look. I read some reports that there might there probably isn't a change to the three five two, especially right now. Again, we don't know. It's not confirmed or anything. But if they run the three three back, which I think they still will, I expect to see El Shrari more at wing back, and because our production is is pretty awful to be honest uh, at that spot. So yeah. we'll see him more given what happened on the market. Which again, seven seven and a half. I think Pinto did a great job. I think we still have holes. Um, so I won't go any higher. Um, just goalkeeping, not even looking at it. I know there's a trust with Mourinho, but at a certain point, he should have said enough is enough, and we 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 definitely could have made a I think a market splash for for a keeper. There were some decent ones that went for very cheap, or I know Roma's good at opportunities. They could have found someone somewhere. I just think I just don't think they looked at that position. There's still one free agent, isn't there? Available, which is a goalkeeper. Yeah, I said to sign him, but again, high wages, which yeah. I I don't know where people think he's going to... I know he has demanded high wages, but the fact that he's still a free agent, I think maybe he might come to his senses and maybe lower them, unless he wants to go to a Saudi league, which Pro- he doesn't seem to be going yet, or else he would have signed Scott, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Roma also offered Kasper Schmeichel. Yeah, but that, Scott, again, is it's a goalkeeper. It's, a, it's aging. 35, 36. Like, at yeah. least De Gea is 32. You know, he's still got three, four years under Larice, Schmeichel, and Patricio. So that makes a little more sense. Plus, everyone said he was horrible last year. I don't fully agree. I thought he was at least decent. I think his back line was pretty terrible. The amount of mistakes Maguire made, I don't think it helped him. So, And we don't need him to distribute. That's not us as a team. We need him to save the ball and punt the ball forward. Mm. I think he's well-suited for that, and he's played under Mourinho. Just, again, he would have to lower his his wages, which I don't know if he will, but he's still not signed. But anyways, I don't think he'll, he'll uh, come to Roma. I do feel that Roma will go for a new goalkeeper next summer. Oh, and they I've, definitely will. Yeah, Patricia's contract is up. So, definitely uh, going for one. They should go someone who's got who's a lot younger and has a, a value which is a lot higher than than they've got now. And I've, there's a couple of goalkeepers that come to mind. One sadly left Empoli to go to Spurs, and which was Vicario. If oh, if I was Roma, I would have been all over Vicario after the Empoli game in February. Because I thought he was outstanding. I think I still think he's a, a, a wonderful goalkeeper. Um, Karnaseki, who was on loan at Cremonese last season, I just think he's a wonderful goalkeeper. Um, Where is he now, Scott Karnaseki? Oh, good question. I think he's still at Atalanta. I don't think he went out on loan. No, I think he might battle with um, with Muso, right? Yeah, for the spot. So 
Yeah, I, I think he. You're right. I think he did stay, and he might battle uh, uh, Musso for the the number one. I think it's still Musso's spot, but I, I've seen there's. I think there's a bit of goalie competition at uh, Atalanta. Yeah, because Musso played against Monza. Uh, oh yeah, they did sign Holm. Yeah, he was on the bench. He's, I think he's been on the bench this season for Atalanta. I would have just been to Gasparini, where I've seen some news about Gasparini coming out in the press recently, and I'm not surprised of players. Neither am I. No, when there's three players, one, Medi Demaral, uh, Papu Gomez, and uh, Mahele, who's now at Wolfsburg. Yeah, the right, the Danish right wing back. Um, he said some things about. Oh, that was weird because he he told Hoyland and Mahele not to travel together. It's strange, but I would have went to Atlanta. I went. How much for Karnaseki? Can we get him on loan? Can we do a deal in the summer? But no, um, I feel Roma's probably transfer window is probably an eight. The only downside is we are two players short. There is the fifth centre-back. The downside is Cristante can play there. But you probably lose the vision from him in midfield if he plays a, as a DM in the in the three five two. Goalkeeper, we need a, a better goalkeeper. I honestly think Svilar will be playing in some games this season, if not quite a lot, if Patricio has... More poor form because the start of the season, Patricio has been dreadful. Wasn't the start? He conceded three goals from four shots on target, and it was four from five or four from six. Now it's six from eight. Six from eight. That's appalling. Did you see my? uh, my, uh, I don't know if you saw my my post or my tweet, whatever you call it these days. uh, The X tweet. um, Yes, the um, there was a a stat I I posted. it's PSXG. It's basically post-shot XG. Where oh, I've seen this. Yeah, it's quite poor, isn't it? Is it the lowest yeah. in Serie A? Yeah, the lowest. The one I saw, the lowest. FBref has a good uh, statistical analysis about it. So people don't know uh, PSXG um, minus goals against it. It's basically it's XG. You can look at it both sides from the attacker, from the goalkeeper. It's the quality in which the goalkeeper makes a save from you know, from the shot location and then minus actual goals allowed. And obviously if you're in a minus, it shows you're not efficient as a goalkeeper. And he is second worst to only uh, Concilia Sassuolo oh. uh, this season. And he was either last or second last again last season. So when Pinto, the one thing I didn't agree with is in his press conference, when he said he was one of the, he's one of the best in Europe, I think he's just trying to protect him because no statistic has shown in the last two seasons that Patricio is um, one of the better goalkeepers in Europe. He certainly isn't. So no. it's a position we we certainly needed to address, and he's cost us this season already. Three games this season, we've seen poor goalkeeping and a lot of mistakes. Uh, the penalty against Milan, and I was I thought it wasn't a penalty because what's a goalkeeper supposed to do when he's coming to stop a shot? He's got to spread his body and. It was the same situation with Zaniolo and Alex Merritt in the game at the Maradona uh, in April 2022, I think it was. Same thing happened. Nothing. 
Milan have had, what is it, three penalties so far this season? Yeah, three and three games. Three and three games. It is what it is. Their style of play. With the attacking football, the give and go, stuff like that's made to happen. But Rui Patricio has not been great. And I think people have been seeing the warning signs, what do you say, for a good six to eight months, probably even longer, maybe eight to 12 months, because great first season. Second season, he had some blips. Third season, uh, he's... I don't blame him for the Milan, uh, the, the Milan goal, the penalty. I mm. Again, it, can he try to avoid it? Maybe, but you're right to counterbalance. When you put your arms up, your legs are going to go up naturally to your body. I understand that. What bothered me with Patricia a little bit, not totally his fault, but to try to save the team, which Chelik made the mistake, is uh, whether it's savable or not, the fact that he just looked at the ball when, when uh, Leal yeah, scored. Yeah, from exactly. That. Audacious. It, it could be that it was effort. not savable. I get it, but it wasn't the most powerful shot. I mean, he was basically tumbled to the ground, shooting while he was falling down. I don't think you should just look at the ball. I think you should position, maybe position yourself a little better because I think he was too far to his right. But you can also try to attempt to save it. Um, and I know a lot of people discuss that that he should at least made an attempt to save that ball. And he looks at too many shots that go in, he looks at too many of them kind of like, oh, this is unsavable, which you should at least attempt to try to save it. I, I don't know. Goalkeepers that look at too many shots going in is just, it doesn't sit well with me. So it's something we're going to have to live with or Spiar is going to have to get up to speed because we can't continue with this. No, that's understandable. Um, before we wrap up, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I, well, I'll mention I'm going to watch, um, I don't know if you saw Scott, but Marcos Leonardo plays today, so I still feel he might be a Roma player in January, so I'm going to watch his uh, U23 game tonight. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Who are Brazil playing? Morocco. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a U23, it's the Brazil U23, but uh, I'd like to see how he performs uh, with a better team around him, so... Fair enough. Um, I don't. Uh, Santos playing over the weekend. I don't know. I don't know if the Brazilian league stops for the international break. So mm, they could be still fighting relegation. Um, I have one thing, and I called someone out over this yesterday, and the tweet has been deleted. Have you seen the video that's been going around about the Milan ultras or Milan fans next to the Roma fans in the Monte Mario? Near the curve of Nord. Yes, this is so. I saw two of them. I saw your tweet because people are saying not just you. Uh, sorry, not just. I think it was. I don't know if you want me to mention the name, but not. No, the don't name. don't mention names. I'm a good friend on social media with one of them. Okay, yeah, that one is. Yeah, I saw that they referenced that it was a Roma fan, but even the one I will mention, I think it's uh, Bonetti said the same yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that tweet's still up, by the way, and it's. Yeah, he says it's. First, he says it's a Roma fan, then he says it's irrelevant. It's a it's little. It's not irrelevant. It's that relevant. Piss poor from, I think, a journalist or a TV host that I think a lot of fans have said has gone down in estimation. I don't watch Paramount. I haven't got that in the UK. But I've seen a lot of people um, say some things about about him with his, his negativity. He's quite negative about Roma over the summer. 
Very. And for him to say something like that, that's piss poor. And whoever's been to the Olympico, you see that and you see what they've done with the Tevere now. They've got the Roma stuff over the first few rows, if you notice that. Is it like tarpaulin? Yeah. So you can see it from that side. And I've sat in the Curvenord with um, Sterling last year. We went to the Monza game. You do get a good view. And you are right next to the away end. And I think there is a family section in the Monte Mario up near, near the away section. That video is appalling. Uh, there is probably context to this. Something may have happened beforehand. But the social media stuff, people stealing videos just for likes and retweets, and they get it completely wrong. It's fucking an, it's an, an abomination, and it needs to stop. And I saw the tweet was deleted. A lot of people called them out. It's just shocking. They just do it for likes and retweets and comments. Look into the context of this. See what's going on. People have said what is going on. You can see clearly where it is in the Olympico. Just be fucking better about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was quite shocked when I saw the, the message. I was like, okay, is he just trying to do this to get attention? This is on Bonetti, by the way. And then, mm. I, I don't know how he just didn't see the content. It's clear as day. Obviously, everyone saw it. It's a Milan fan. Um, I, guess, I think it was spitting, right? Spitting at the... Yeah, the spitting to Rome. There was a young... There was a young Milan fan, maybe living in Rome. He must have been six, seven or eight. He's there with his dad. He's got the Milan red and black jersey on. You do see this in Italian grounds where there is some, like, fans of opposition fans do sit in, in the ground. I think I've seen it as well. Can you imagine the Milan fans sitting in the Curvasud? No, exactly. You can't. You can't see that. That is nowhere near that. Um, uh, there is probably context to this. I, I did read that Roma fans were chucking glasses of, and bottles and stuff like that, a drink at them. But, yeah, watch the video. See where it is in the Olympico. Everyone can see it. it's in the Monte Mario, near the Curva Nord, near the away end. And it's, oh, my God, just... It pissed me off when I saw some of those tweets yesterday. And to see someone who's a journalist and a TV host in America and has got his own podcast to say it's irrelevant, it's a fucking disgrace. It is. It is certainly a disgrace. Uh, Scott, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll mention from that same match, there was also, um, and again, I hope Milan do something about this. There was a racist chance against Lukaku. Lukaku, yeah, the video when uh, I think it was, uh, was it Get Italian News or something like that? Someone yeah. I know who runs the website is a, a very good Twitter friend of mine. We we, we like the same sports. Um, so if I, I saw the video of that, that was quite bad, saying the Italian word for the N-word. It's just quite appalling. It, was it from the substitution? Yeah, it was from the substitution. I, and I think, I hope, um, I don't know if it's Roma's case to say anything because they're Milan fans, but either club should really do something about this, right? We want to try to stop racism in football that's the biggest thing that's advertised everywhere obviously it's gonna oh it's gonna happen i'm not gonna say we're trying to we're trying to minimize it really and again you know we just got this player making his debut and it already started 
I know Milan fans know him from his Inter days as well, and they probably still hate him from them. So that's what I'm saying is like I don't feel like it would stop with him, but he's really tried to battle racism. And I think Roma and Milan, both of them, either one should do something about what happened that that video that was posted. Completely agree. I think it's it's a sorry sight. He's been racially abused in more than one ground. I think it's four years since the horrific video in Sardinia where the highlight show, which I think it's for the worldwide feed actually cut out what happened, which was quite disappointing. Look, Serie A, FIGC, what's their main source? What they want to stop? Step piracy. You see it always at the beginning of the games. Richard Carman, who's been on this podcast and is one half of the Serie A sit-down boys, did a screenshot of the Lazio-Lecce game where Lecce won 2-1 in the first day of the season said about this. And they're not, they're not cracking down on racism in football. Once again, we're in 2023 and you see shit like this happening. It's gonna, it, it feels like we're living in a different era. It absolutely does. Sorry to end the podcast on, on stuff that it, it stuff like this just pisses me off. I've been watching football twenty nine years, and it's just a criminal shame we still get to see this in a game that is loved and it is for everybody. It is for everybody, and it's and it's great to see you see fans of, of different cultures, multicultures, different sexes, and they love football, and it should not be tarnished. And if it, I hate when this happens because I was brought up on football and it is uh, when I was seven and I loved the game. Uh, there's times where I absolutely fucking hate it and it's, it is criminal. Like the stuff that's going on in the Spanish FA, it is just, oh, you could have me for about two hours talking about this, but no. Um, Jerry, we'll leave it there before I'm literally going to throw my laptop out the window in, a, in, <laughs> in my room, which is about 29 degrees at the moment because it's hot. We'll end it on a positive note, Scott. I'll, uh, Dybala's back in training, so that's Woo-hoo. a good sign. And yeah, exactly. As Moon is back as well, and Sanchez is soon to return, so we should have everyone ready to go uh, against Empoli. Roma win, and not this Saturday, obviously, not this. No, week, no, week. this weekend. So hopefully, he doesn't get injured taking a penalty like he did last season. I would not believe it. <laughs> we have Lukaku now for penalties, yeah. so we have another good penalty taker, another another asset we can use, right? So he's very good at penalties. He rarely miss over his time at Inter. So. Uh, and we have another one uh, available to us, which is nice to see. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Empathy game is in, what, so we're recording on the 7th? So is that 10 days away? Yeah, 17th. Yeah, 17th. Yeah, it's, it's the 17th. That's it's right. the Sunday night game, because I think games are now going to be on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday now, in the early parts of the season, after the September international break. Um, guys? You can follow us at themagicast.com and you'll find all our previous episodes. The 212 episodes on the website, we're up up to 213 uh, with today's recording. Uh, you can follow the podcast and all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, etc., etc. Joey, thank you for once again for joining me on this, uh, this Thursday afternoon. For me, Thursday late morning for you. Uh, we just hit the afternoon for me, really? so uh, we're uh, 
yeah, we're it's twelve twelve p.m. now, so gonna get back to uh, lunch and then obviously work in the afternoon. But it's nice. It's nice to take some time away to uh, always speak about Roma with you, Scott, and on the podcast. Thank you. It's always an absolute pleasure, guys. We'll probably be back the eighteenth of September after the international break to review the Empoli game and talk about the Europa League because. Roma play Sheriff on the 21st. So Roma do have a packed schedule. I think there's a lot of games in September and October. So you might be seeing one or two pods a week from now on, reviewing, previewing, reviewing and previewing. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week and next week. Enjoy the international break. Ciao. Ciao.